0: Everybody. It's, a real, it's a real honor to be here with you this morning. I know most of you will know who I am. My name is Josh. That's my wife, Kara, over there with our gorgeous, gorgeous little boy. And Eden, our three-year-old, is downstairs. We've been coming to KXC for the last couple of months, but it feels like we've been involved a little longer because we've been nomadic for about two years. And the consistent voice in our life over those two years of traveling and staying in Airbnbs and spare rooms of friends and family's house has been the worship and the messages that have come out of here, listening to the podcasts and listening to the albums. And we, we were in Bath for about 12 years and then we spent a summer reading the Beatitudes over and over again. And the end result of that was leaving everything we had to go on this nomadic adventure. So you be careful. You be careful when you take the words of Jesus seriously but we've uh, we felt really really held and encouraged by this beautiful prophetic community that's here and just this morning has been so rich and last week was so powerful I, I feel really what i 'm here to do is very simple i want to I want to share a statement and then I want to share three practices that kind of run through that statement and and much of it is really I think taken from Ruth it was Ruth who shared last week yes what Ruth brought about in Ephesians six and, and a And a prophetic word that was given then. So I'm going to begin by just reading some scripture. You down with that? All right. So you can open up your Bibles to or unlock your phones to 2 Corinthians 12. And you know, before I say this, for anyone in the room who has experienced the scriptures like me for a lot of my life with real confusion and bewilderment, let me say this. There is nothing else that we read in our life like this library, like this collection of books, and to approach it with a sense of bewilderment is a very accurate way to approach it. This doesn't fit on your shelf like everything else. It doesn't go next to the self-help books, nor does it go next to the fantasy books. It is a collection, it's a library inspired all on its own. The, the Old Testament theologian, Walt Brueggemann, who has written countless books, a scholar of the scripture said, and, and you, you might get a little offended by the first half of this statement, so just stay with me. This is a man who adores the scriptures, who reveres the scriptures, the holy scriptures. He said, you know, the Bible, I've realized, could be compared to a pile of compost. Stay with me. You could look at it. It's a collection of all sorts and think, what do I do with this? In fact, you could look at it and say, I don't think that's much. Until you realize everything grows from it. Everything grows from it. It is what Jesus had to walk with. It is what Jesus used. If we could spend a day physically with Jesus, he would be quoting the Psalms and telling the stories of his forefathers. And our relationship to this incredible inspired collection of words is not one of productivity. What I mean by that is the idea isn't that you spend a certain amount of time with this to be productive. Like, I got my hour in. The aim is proximity. Proximity. Whether you feel bewildered, confused, disillusioned, whatever word you want to put there when you approach this, just stay in proximity. Just read something. Just stay in the room. And so with that being said, here we go. This is Galatians 2, chapter 12. And this is the voice of the apostle Paul speaking. I will read from, uh, let me read from verse 7. He says this. He says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, he's just shared this incredible revelation and vision to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh and a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should lead me speaking of that thorn that it should lead me but he said to me my grace is sufficient my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't have time, nor will I even attempt to decipher this thorn as i'm sure many of you know theologians and scholars have been going back and forth on this for a long time i have a very simple statement to make out of the text i've just read and it is this this is the statement if you leave with one thing god wants all of you god wants All of you. I I grew up in the church. I'm a son of missionaries. I suffer from Sunday school syndrome, which means you hear a text that you've heard so many times, and it's so familiar, it's kind of lost its power. You know, I grew up hearing this, this verse and many other, and it's only been as I've grown older and I've experienced what many people in the room have experienced in terms of failure. And suffering and falling down, and mishaps and misfortune, that these scriptures become enlightened, and I have to kind of reapproach them and re envision my life. In fact, Paul prays, I think it's in Ephesians, and what, what an incredible series on Ephesians you've just done. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Hey, before I go any further, let's do that together. Let's say it together. We'll we'll say, may the eyes of my heart be enlightened, right? So we'll say it together. May the eyes of my heart be enlightened. May this word that Paul's writing re-imagine us. May it just reinvigorate us. I, uh, there was a word given last week. I don't know who, who was it who shared. But someone got up and he said, I feel like there's people in the room who feel like they're in a cell, like they're in a prison cell. And this, this relates to experiences of addiction and afflictions of that sort, and you're in this cell. And um, I'm that man. I'm standing before you as a man in a cell. And, um, and this scripture has been my... It's fathered me through the last couple of years. When Francis, when we found out we were having a boy, I was so delighted and I was so terrified at the thought of raising a boy into a man. It was was instantly confronting me with everything that was undealt with in my heart, everything that I could recognize in my relationship with my father and his father, everything that had come down, everything that I felt had been unacknowledged before the Lord, suddenly reared its head in the acknowledgement of having that boy and I I recognize I'm not going to go into all these details now there's just not the time but um, I recognize there was things that I had to approach in a new way that I hadn't dealt with fully in my past and so I I, I thought about it maybe it's therapy maybe it's counseling I'm married to a therapist and, and and I've had therapy before and I understand its power and it's and it's such an incredible thing to do But I just felt like, I don't think it is that. And and I thought, well, maybe it's prayer ministry. Like maybe it's, you know, just going to meet with someone for a couple hours and having this just dealt with, you know, which happens. I believe in that entirely. And then I I thought, I just don't know if it's that. I just don't know if that's the the process and the practice. So you know what I did? I I Googled it. (laughs) I wrote in a Google the specific nature of these things that I felt were were in me that needed to be dealt with. And the first thing that came up on Google was a 12-step recovery meeting. And I was like, nah, man, nah. And I just knew it. That's it. That's it. And so I, I, it was online, and I logged on, and I went on. And it was like the first time I ever understood what Paul was saying here. I grew up in, in revivalism, and this is a church that has approached the conversation and the expectation for revival in a way I have never heard before. There's, ooh, there's there's such a there's such a humility in the way that you speak about it. Like we don't know what it is that we we're, we're asking for exactly, but we know that we need to ask for it, you know? Like we know we know what it's not, like we know that what it isn't is a platform building, you know, like celebrity creating gift magnifying experience we know it's not that but we don't know entirely what it is you know so i want to say that as a precursor to what i'm about to say um i believe in revival i want revival but i've burnt out on revival a couple times you know just grew up in that environment i grew up in revivalism and um it came to a point where i said i don't know really what we're talking about anymore but a phrase that would often be used is we pray For the power of God to move in this room. Anybody been in that space? And I believe in it. But we pray for the power of God to come in this room right now. And we'd we'd rally ourselves up. And the music would match the tempo of that cry, you know? And things would happen. I'm not denying any of it. But on that that Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. In that recovery meeting. Where everyone began with confession. Oh, and everyone became, came, came with a declarative announcement of weakness. I said to Kara, I have just experienced the power of God. I always thought it would come in a revival meeting, and it was a recovery meeting where I discovered it. Paul says this, quoting the Lord, right? He says, He says, uh, Three times, three times I said, Take this from me. And whatever you can relate to is your thorn right now, and I know you got one. You might be thinking, as I have many times, three times, Paul, man, I've, I've cried out 3,000 times. Lord, would you just take this from me? Like, would you just remove this from me? And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As if, As if what God is saying to Paul and to us this morning is, if you want to experience my power, you have to uncover a relationship with weakness that is ongoing, that isn't going to be fixed that is that is integrated into your life that 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 ultimately is a vessel for my power to work through in the time that i've been in this 12-step meeting i remember one one morning when a woman came on and again i won't go into details but she talked about the nature of what was happening and how you know my life is over like this is it this is this is over now my husband's gonna leave me this is all over and you know we were in a meeting two weeks ago and she she told us all that her, you know her and her husband were pregnant again that life was like just moving up that there was this restoration happening and i see that i'm like this this is the evidence of the power of god made perfect in weakness like this announcement of weakness and so going back to the picture of the cell right the cell is such a powerful image because the cell is is this is this tradition for us as christians you know the earliest monastic Mothers and fathers of our faith built cells for themselves that they lived in to encounter God, to meet God. In fact, in the Latin, the word cell would be a small, confined heaven. That's what they understood it as, right? So there's, there's a story in the sayings of Desert Fathers where one young monk goes to Abba Moses and he says, Moses, Abba Moses, I'm, I'm afflicted with temptations of the flesh. I want to be free. What should I do? And Abba Moses says, go to your cell because everything you need is there. Go to yourself. Everything you need is there. You know, Paul writes, I think it's in Colossians, remember me in my chains, you know. There's something that God is doing at this point of what feels like absolute restriction and limitation and weakness that I think right now as a church, we are growing to the point of maturity to hold fast in, to stay in, to surrender in, to see the power of God move. I have, throughout my whole life, I have found escape routes out of these points of affliction, and as a result, have sidestepped living in the grace of God. I've lived in my own strength for so long. You know, my, my, there's a, there's a part of me that just knows how to hustle, knows how to gamble, knows how to get around things, and I'm in, I'm in a season now, which is so painful, where God has just, is just holding me at bay, and, and every day is this daily dependency upon my, upon his grace, and he says to me, I want all of you. I'm not going to do anything until I have all of you, right? So there's these three practices that I want to just share with you in the time that we have. Someone might have to shut me up. I don't know what time I started. Yeah, you just, you just, you, you know, I have three practices and the three practices are all born from the Psalms. And this is something that I do every single day. And I I hope you do. I hope you inhabit it. You might look at it and think, I don't know about this, but I hope that you inhabit it because what this is going to do is it's going to give you a daily invitation into your own weakness, like an inescapable confrontation with your own weakness and as a result, an inescapable confrontation with the grace of God, you know? Every recovery meeting ends with this prayer. God, grant me the serenity. If you know it, say it with me. To accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference so there's something that says to me if we want to live in the power of God it's a journey of both acceptance and courage acceptance to let go of that which we can no longer hold on to acceptance to let go of that which we cannot and do not have the power to change and the courage to move in this daily uh, daily discipline and daily dependency upon him so all right we're gonna live from this point onwards one day at a time there's so much in scripture from the old testament from the story of the hebrews in the in the desert with their manner to the way that jesus taught us to pray give us today uh give us today our daily bread jesus is asked the question of the age of, of like this age right in matthew 6 he's asked well i like to frame it with a question what do we do about this anxiety what do we do jesus Because it's in us, it's everywhere. What do we do? And Jesus stands up with the infinite wisdom of God and says this, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Because we need to hear that. Do not be anxious. So then we're leaning in, man. We're like, how? (laughs) And he says, look at the birds of the air. Look up, look at the flowers of the field. They don't wrestle, they don't strive, they don't toil. They live in the grace of each day, knowing that the Father will care for them. How much more does he care for you? How much more does he care for you? And, and he's saying, do not think about tomorrow. Don't even get there tomorrow. Don't, don't even consider it. It's as if God is saying to you, because we're all in recovery, it's as if he's saying to you, there is grace sufficient for today. That's it living today. Everything that you think of, everything you want, everything you're pleading for, everything you're hoping for, everything you're, you're dreaming of, like in, 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 in jubilee, enjoy everything you're hoping for. You've got one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. And James, James has been discipling me. James, Father James says to us, he says, like, woe to your arrogance, Saying, I'm going to go here for this long. I think it's James 2. I'm going to go here. I'm going to spend this much time in this city. I'm going to do this much trade. I'm going to make this much profit. He says, you should say if the Lord wills. You know? I grew up in an in, in a, in a Islamic environment. And what came off the tongue of every person was Inshallah. Inshallah. God willing. You know, God willing, and and and. But you put that statement in in the in the re- revelation of who Jesus is, where we know what God is like. It's one thing to say God willing, but when you don't know what God is like, that's a terrifying thing to say. But when you know what God is like, perfectly revealed in Jesus, the invisible God revealed in Christ Jesus, when we say God willing, we know whatever God wills is true to the character revealed in Christ. If God wills, you know, like yeah, God willing, God willing. So the the the, the Psalms. For me, are the recovery meeting of the Bible, you know, the Psalms is, is where we have this outpouring of the human spectrum of experience in our holy book, in our inspired book. We have it; it's amazing. And David, the psalmist, writes in such a incredibly—I uh, call it brutiful, It's a brutiful way of writing. <laughs> And it gives us, it gives, we're, we're, we feel seen in it. And so these three practices are taken from the Psalms. I, I, I do them every single day. I have done what I'm about to do with you for uh, Fortune 500 business leaders in Chicago and more recently with uh, a group of men on doing life sentences in a prison in the north. This is for everyone. You're going to leave here as poets. Now You're going to leave here as Psalmists, you know. So the first one that we're going to look at And I'll go through these quick. I know I don't have loads of time. The the first one is, without a practice of lamentation in our lives, we will escape a confrontation with our weakness. Without without a a, a practice and a a relationship with lamentation in our life, we will never fully enter into the grace that God has for us for each and every single day. So, we have a book, man. We have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentation. Lamentation literally means a, a powerful declaration of pain that's what it means a powerful declaration of pain and throughout the Psalms David David let me give you one of David's best ones Psalm 6 he says this be gracious to me O Lord for I am languishing I am languishing when was the last time you heard that word I am languishing heal me O Lord For my bones are troubled. Anybody relate? My bones are troubled and my soul also is greatly troubled. He's saying my my bones are troubled and my soul is troubled. There is not one part of me that isn't consumed with trouble. But you, O God, ready? You, O God, how long? How long? Psalm 10. Why do you hide yourself, O Lord? Why do you stand far away? why do you hide yourself in times of trouble man i mean one thing that this communicates to me is that uh david knew god better than i know him you know Uh, david knew god in such a way such a familiar intimate way that he knew he couldn't he couldn't offend him that he could bring the entirety of who he was to god and he wouldn't offend Him. if one of my children said any of these things to me it would. It would break me if they said that why why do you stand far away from me especially when i'm in times of trouble it would kill me the reality is is it isn't true but it's what david feels it isn't true but it's what david feels and it needs to be said i love martha in john 13 when jesus slowly saunters towards the grave of lazarus and she runs up to him she's like you're late if you had just been here, not only is he my brother, he's your best friend. Not only, not only could you have healed him for us, but you would have got all the glory. Anybody felt that before? Like, this works for you, God. This doesn't just benefit me, this breakthrough. This, is, this works for you. Who's doing your PR? This, is, this works for you. And, and she says, but, but even now, say the word and he will rise, you know? And she just, she, she, oh man, it's, it's you know if you, you meet with someone and you know you've hurt them? You're like, oh man, I just imagine Jesus walking and seeing Martha coming. I'm like, it's, you know, it's about to go down. And, and that is how God expects us to relate to him with this passionate decree of pain. And I will say this, I believe there's a, there's a lament for every single morning of our lives there's a lament to be cried out because if there isn't something that you're lamenting personally, there's something to lament on someone else's behalf or something even wider, something globally for us to lament. The reality is all of this, it has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Road rage has got nothing to do with the road. You know, like we just carry rage and then someone cuts you off, you know, and it just boils up and it, because it has to go somewhere. So we have, we have Revival Tent Meetings, and it's, it's, just, it's his story. It's just, it just looks absolutely mad because it has to go somewhere. And we have, you know, we have like, I love hip-hop, man. You come to a hip-hop show, and it's aggressive, and it's, it has to go somewhere. So it has to go somewhere, and it's better for it to go onto the page or as a declaration to the heart of God than it is to your neighbor or to your spouse or even worse just into your own stagnant soul and you grow old bitter and you grow old twisted and you grow old you know like a stagnant pond that just smells and attracts everything that's undesirable you know it's got to go somewhere even Jesus Jesus is on the cross and he's stretched out limb from limb and he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me and uh I mean, if you could just ever consider, like, you know, I don't know, you, you're in your youth group or you, you go to church on a Sunday morning and, and, you know, I don't know. if Pete got up here one morning and just stood up here. And maybe he has done it. I can imagine Pete doing this, actually. And he gets up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? puts down the mic and sits down. Service is done for the day. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. The, the Psalm 22 ends by saying, you do not hide your face from the afflicted. David says, Where can I go to flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the depths of Sheol, you are there. So I would say that the biblical uh overview of where God is is He's here, He does not forsake us. But it feels like that. And it and it needs to be said and it needs to be acknowledged. And imagine being John or Mother Mary at the foot of the cross, hearing Jesus say that. It would be disturbing, but it needs to be said. And so before I go any further, let's just, let's just do it. If you've got a phone or you got, you can do it in your mind right now. I'm gonna, we're going to wait uh, 30 seconds. And all I want you to do is write at the top on your phone or write in your paper or say in your, line, say in your mind this one line, how long, oh God? That's all it is. How long, oh God? And maybe like me, there's, a, there's something just deep and cyclical and habitual and something that you're just searching for freedom in or maybe there's a maybe it's how how long until my mother-in-law as well you know how long until there's enough money for the month you know how long maybe it's something further afield maybe it's just how long and don't there's no neat ending there's no nice bow on this it's just how long maybe it's maybe you are in a saint john of the cross dark night of the soul you know how long oh god until i feel your presence mother Teresa wrote letters and in her letters, she, 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 she said, it has been so long and since, since I felt the presence of God. She said in her letters, I do no longer feel love even for the people I serve. All love has gone from me. How long, oh God? It needed to be said. It had to go somewhere. So 30 seconds. We're just going to just engage with that. How long, oh God? All right, I, know I'm, I know I'm interrupting some deep process, but th- this is to be continued, yes, every single day. You know, it takes 30 days to form a habit. If you do something every day for 30 days, you then have to unlearn how to do it. If you can do this every day for 30 days on the way to work, as soon as you wake up. You wake up in the morning, how long, oh God? That's how you start. How long, oh God? And the second thing, so we begin with lamentation, and the second thing is, is confession. And I know you guys know this one. Many of you will. Psalm 51. J- D- David writes this after... After committing some of the most heinous crimes any person could ever commit. I spend once a month, I go into a prison and I do poetry workshops with the men inside. And David should have written this psalm doing a double life sentence in prison when he wrote these words. He wrote... Lord, have mercy on me. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's got to go somewhere. We are in need of mercy. That's the good news. Like, we need a relief valve for the human experience. And this first one of lamentation gives us the opportunity to acknowledge that not everything here is right and not everything here is good and every promise that is over our life might be a promise but if we haven't seen it fulfilled we're allowed to acknowledge the pain of that confession makes this deeply personal not only does it say where is my point of of action within this calamity where have i made mistake where have i fallen down where have i done something that has disturbed the shalom within myself and within creation but it also gives us the opportunity to announce that desire we confess what we do not have yet and what, which we, we, we yearn to behold. The, the blind man Bartimus in, in, the, in the book of Luke, you know, the story of Jesus walking out of the city and the crowds are just thronging around him and, and the blind man cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy upon me. And you know what the disciples say? Tell that man to be silent. And that's a voice in our minds. Be silent. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't disturb him. Have mercy upon me. So the next line, it says the blind man Bartimaeus cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And one of the coolest lines in the New Testament, Jesus turns around and says, bring that man to me. Bring him to me. And it says he stood, stood up and he threw off his coat. Because in the first century, they would paint a mark down the coat of a blind man or a blind woman. So in the market, you would identify them as being blind, you wouldn't push them over. So he throws off his coat as if to say, I don't need this where I'm going, and he walks into the presence of Jesus without that which defines, defines, defines him by his ailment, and he stands before Jesus, and then Jesus doesn't define him by his ailment. Jesus says to the blind man who can't see, what would you like me to do for you, Bartimus, which just means son of Timus, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see, and in that interaction is everything that you need to know about confession, When you enter the presence of God to confess, there's an expectation that what I'm carrying that has defined me as an ailment, I will not carry beyond this place. Because as I walk into the presence of God, the one who sees all things, the only one who has the power to distribute or withhold mercy, has given it to me. And therefore, it's he who says... I don't define you by what you define yourself by. I don't define you by what the world has defined you by, or even the closest people to you have defined you by. I don't define you by the mistake that you've made that has hurt someone so dear and so close to you. Doesn't mean it's not a consequence. I just don't define you by it. nor do I define you by the injustice that you've experienced and the, the, you know the, the, the stray bullets that have hit you in this war that were, this cosmic war that Ruth talked about last week. I don't define you by it. What do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And it says the blind man saw. In COVID, when we had those, that period of time where we could go for walks, I went uh, every Friday, I would walk with my two friends through these disused train tunnels in Bath. And we'd walk in this darkness together. And every Friday, we would just confess. Both confess, Lord, have mercy upon me. I have sinned. My, my favorite definition of sin is by the um, uh, Jewish writer, Abraham Herschel, he says, sin is the disturbance of shalom in your soul or the soul of another. You know, disturbance of peace. It's the disturbance of peace. Lord, forgive me for I have disturbed the the peace. And then we would say, and this is what I want to see. This is my confession of what I want to see. And we would time our confession that as we ended, we would enter the light. And the light would come through and permeate the darkness and permeate. The tunnel and so that line in your prayer as you become a psalmist is have mercy upon me and you just let it flow out whatever has to flow out let it just come out of you let it flow out of you my daughter three-year-old daughter is obsessed with bugs and she's learning about two things Genuinely, this at the moment she's learning about bugs and really without Karen I doing any teaching mortality she talks about bugs and death Allah, she's just fascinated by the two you know yesterday she said She said, Jesus died. I was like, yeah, Jesus did die. And he went, and then she goes, and we died. And I was like, you've been reading Romans. And I was like, but the other day she was was walking with me, and and she was telling me, she said, Daddy, don't step on a snail. If you step on a snail, the snail will be dead. Don't step on a snail. Don't step on a snail. If you step on the shell, it will be dead. And as she's saying it, I didn't even tell Kara this. As she's saying it, I hear this crunch. And she's just stepped on the snail. And she looks, and she went, oh, but she's fascinated with butterflies, and she, we've, been, we've been reading this book about butterflies, and I know you guys know about but just let me remind you of this, the butterfly, the caterpillar, forms this chrysalis around itself, and in the chrysalis, in the absolute darkness, in the cell, it's transformed, but there's a process of it coming out of the cell, and it's in. I haven't experienced it, but it's in, I haven't talked to a butterfly about it. But it's incredibly painful. It's painful to watch, and and there's this that you can read articles about how you should never help a butterfly out of its chrysalis because as it's stretching out and as its wings are stretching, this chemical is released into the wings where blood vessels are popping, and the chemical read up on this. The chemicals go into the wing, strengthen the wing to enable it to fly. If you help the butterfly out before that process is finished, it may leave the chrysalis, but it will never fly. And there's this like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't take a short, don't, don't, don't take a shortcut. Don't sidetrack this. Go all the way through the pain. Go all the way through the tunnel. Go all the way, stay in the cell. Everything you need is in the cell. Stay there, stay there. Don't let anyone help you out of it. I went, I sat with a mentor last week and I asked him to help me out. And he said, no. He said, I will not get in the way of what God is doing in your life. I will not, you know. You might text a friend this week, remember me in my chains remember me, you know, like I'm going through something right now. I'm not asking you to come and take them. Remember me. God is doing something deep in me. I want revival. I want to see the power of God move in my life and in my time. And so I need to stay in this place of his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Last one. And with, um, Rebecca, would you come up? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna land this. All right. So <laughs> the last one, lamentation, confession, and adoration. The last, the, the, the Psalms at the end, Psalm, Oh, 120, 134, the Psalms of Ascent, right? And, and and they're talked about being a psalm for every step that walks up to the temple. So as the pilgrims would make their way to the temple, they would recant the Psalms of Ascent. And one of my favorites is um, Psalm 100 and... Uh, oh, I've got so many. I've written so many down here. Um, Psalm 121, let's go, lift my eyes, oh God, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, and it's David looking at the same hills where he ran and fled from Saul, recognizing where God had come through for him over and over and over and over again, lift my eyes, lift my eyes, and then he just gets incredibly beautifully poetic, those who, Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, not the Lord is like Mount Zion, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, it cannot be moved, it abides forever, as the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and evermore. Psalm 130, O oh Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from its iniquity. Psalm 126, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Come on. So we write every morning, how long, O oh God? Have mercy upon me, O oh God. And then we, the final line is, Lift my eyes, oh God. And we just start recounting what God has done for us. And we start recounting where the Lord is worthy to be acknowledged in adoration. And I want to end this. Oh, I've got so many notes. I'm just going to boom. Uh, I'm going to end this by reading one of my favorite prayers of adoration. One of my favorite, um, you know, Psalms in terms of someone today writing one of these. This is my friend Doug wrote this. And he, he's got a collection of liturgies called Every Moment Holy. All right, we're going to do something. We're going to practice this let's do this. I'm going to read this, this this poem of adoration. So this is the kind of thing that you guys are going to be writing in terms of letting steady thy hand and ready thy pen. You're going to start writing words that lift your soul out of slumber, right? And when Doug wrote this adoration, he like grabbed hold of something in me and force my eyes to look up so I want to read this both as like a you know a manifestation of what we're going to be doing but I also want to read it as to end this to just adore Jesus together what I want to do is as I read it as you feel that oh, my soul is stirring I want you to stand up it's not going to happen at the same time and it's going to take some courage right acceptance and courage so I want you to stand up you, you can you can say amen which just means we agree I don't want you to think, oh, maybe I'm just getting excited because the service is coming to an end and it's nearly lunch. I want you, okay, I feel so, I feel, yeah, I think my eyes are being lifted right now. I'm going to stand up and testify. Psalm 134, bless the Lord, oh my, bless the Lord, magnify his name. All right. Our thoughts of you, O oh Lord, have been too small and they have been too few. Seldom have we considered how specific is the exercising of your authority Extending as it does into the myriad particulars of creation There is no quarter over which you are not king As creation hurtles towards its liberation and redemption The full implications of your deep lordship are yet to be revealed in countless facets unconsidered because Christ, you are the snow king. You are the maker of all weather. You are the king of sunlight and storm. You are the king of gray skies and rain. You are the rain king. You are the sun king. You are the hurricane king. You are the king of autumn and you are the king of spring and our thoughts of you, O oh Lord, have been too small and they have been too few the old and impotent gods of our ancestors that they once believed in were at their best imperfect pictures of you your strength and your goodness and your creative majesty your wonderful mystery and love exceed those old rumors like sunlight exceeds the tiny dimness of stars reflected in a dark and wavering pool the fairy tales crafted by our old cultures they hinted at you though they knew it not Yet their perfect princes and their blessed ends were yearnings for all that has found fulfillment in you. You are the Lord of the harvest. You are the grain king. You are the wine king, the God of plenty, the God of hearth and home. You are the hill king, the wildflower king. You are the king of great bears and the king of canyons. You are the monarch of meadows. You are the lord of lava fields. You are the ruler of desert Wastes. You are the polar king. You are the rainbow king. You are the king of the Southern cross and you are the king of the northern lights. You are the king of the rabbits and the tall trees Trees, you are the God of our youth, and you are the god of our age. You are the acorn king, and you are the river god, you are the swamp king, and the king of glades, and the king of dells, you are the ruler of hummingbirds, you are the king of London, you are the king of the horses, you are the king of the crags, the lord of the bees, and the king of the woruses, you are commander of the rhinos, you are lord of the lightning bugs, you are the cave lord, the mountain king, the ruler of grassy plains, and the god of all valleys. You are the captain of every cloud, you are the wolf king, you are the king of the katoos and our thoughts of you oh lord they have been too small and they have been too few for your claim over creation is vast you are the lord of antarctica you are the king of california you are the king of the scottish nile and the king of the the king of the night. You are the weaver of the unseen fabrics of the world. You are the lord of the atoms, the ruler of electrons, the lord of gravity, the king of quarks. Your dominion enfolds the earth and rises beyond it to the furthest extremes of the stars. You are the lord of vast empty spaces, the king of constellations, the black hole king, lord of novas exploding, the lord of speeding light, the high king of galaxies. You are the king of Orion. You are the king of the moon and yet still, even still our thoughts of you have been too small and they have been too few you are the god of justice and you are the god of wisdom you are the god of mercy and you are the god of our redemption you are the lord of love all of this time but our thoughts of you have been too small and they have been too few our minds are too small to conceive them all yet alone contain them for you are before all things You created all things and in you all things are held together and there is no corner over creation that you will fail to redeem. You are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. You are Jesus Christ, our King of everything. Amen.